0: Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Well, the Utah Jazz are back in action tonight. Officially, Joe Ingles is questionable, so you're saying there's a chance. to Get him back and then uh, see where they go from there as far as getting the other guys out of COVID protocols. The Jazz have lost three, three straight road games. they got Cleveland coming in. Cleveland's kind of been going sideways all year. They're five games over 500 Sixth in the East with a 23-18 and 18 record. Uh, and a little below 500 over the last three weeks. So, the team that is red hot now, with a 10th consecutive victory, the Memphis Grizzlies beat the Golden State Warriors at home in Tennessee, 116 108. Now, Warriors are probably going to go through a period here, readjusting with Clay Thompson. That's going to move everybody into new roles, and Clay's got to get acclimated. So, if the Warriors don't look good over the next two weeks or so, I don't think that's a big deal. Get to February certainly after the All Star break. Expect them to start looking better, and if they don't, then I think then we can start talking about what that means for them as a contender. What does a win for Memphis mean as a contender? Well, after 20 games, they were 10 and 10, and since then they have gone 19 and four, including 10 straight wins. They have tied the Jazz for third. In the Western Conference, and they are streaking and looking really good right now. Suns have the best record in the NBA. They beat Toronto 99 95. You may have seen a dust up with Devin Booker shooting free throws, mad at the mascot, who was behind the basket being a distraction. That's something that mascots do to entertain fans. Of course, there are no fans in Toronto, so I don't know what the role of the mascot is. Entertain viewers on TV? I don't, I don't, I don't get it. It doesn't matter. Phoenix won the game. So they are now a game in front of the Warriors, and three and a half up on the Jazz and the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies are actually percentage points behind the Jazz in fourth place, but both teams are three and a half back. Jazz have played two less games, they got one less win, they got one less loss. For the Jazz, they need to start playing better, and obviously they need Rudy Gobert back, because they're giving up about 120 points a night without him. All right, DJ and PK, we're going to take a break right now. When, oh, one other NFL note. Joe Judge was fired. Seven NFL jobs open right now. The coaching carousel spinning. Will it spin down to college football? Will it spin down to the Pac-12 or the Big 12? Jim Harbaugh is the name that's out there, but you never know when the dominoes start moving. We've talked about the Bulls hired a coach, and it's a chain of events led to Utah State getting a new coach, so you never know. All right, DJ and PK, we're taking a break. When we come back, talking basketball with Tim Lacombe, jazz analyst. Stay with us. Good morning, DJ and PK at Sunday 7.5 12.8 of the Zone. You hear Tim LaCombe on the radio on Jazz Games. He joined us during yesterday's show. He'll drop in a couple of last nights because of that, referring to the loss in Detroit. But you will get the point anyway. Here's Tim LaCombe. and 12.80 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Built Bar. Whether well, it's double chocolate, peanut butter brownie, cherry barcia, or salted caramel, enjoy a Built Bar. 100% real chocolate, 100% real delicious. Order yours today at Built.com and save 10% off your order using promo code ZONE at checkout. That's Built Bar. Time to welcome in to Malacombe. Worked for Rick Majerus at the U. Worked for Dave Rose at the Y. Now you hear him on jazz radio pregame halftime and postgame shows Tim good morning good morning man it's been a minute it has been a minute happy 2022 to you
1: Yeah. hey just right back at you man right back at you and your cohort he's going to remain quiet
0: no, I'm not Okay. I didn't know I
2: was supposed to speak.
1: He always makes me guess if he's really there. Of course I'm really (laughs) there.
2: Where else would I be? I didn't know it was my turn to speak.
1: I thought you might be at, like, an exotic location playing golf. Nice.
0: No, I'm right here. So, it's a happy 2022 until you see your team give up 78 points in the second half. What does Quinn Snyder say? How does he react? Put yourself in his shoes.
1: You know, it's, man, I'm telling you, it's a really difficult one. Um, and I think the qualifying statement you make is the defense is built around Rudy Gobert. We've known that forever, but I think it's pretty blatantly obvious now that uh, he really does hold just about everything together on the defensive side. Um, you know, we went into a big, in fact, I went somewhere last night prior to the game, I was invited into David Locke's laboratory. Uh, I don't know if you guys knew he had a lab, but he has a lab, has Bunsen burners, and fax machines whirling, and um, you know, all sorts of crazy stuff. But David was driving down a canyon, and he had a thought, so he you know, called me, and I was just the conduit to kind of look up stats, but this Detroit team, if you if you take this Detroit team and you, you put them against the rest of the league, they are 10 points below league average in points per possession. Um, and to find anything similar, you have to go back to when Charlotte was the Bobcats and um, when New Jersey, the Nets were... Still playing there in in the Garden State instead of Brooklyn. Um, you know, you have to go back a long way to find a team that has been as bad offensively as this Detroit Pistons team. And going into the game last night without Jeremy Grant, you think no matter what the Jazz do, they'll figure out a way to get this team stopped. And um, I, I think, obviously, really, really big issues um, kind of stemmed and they. They lost the game. I didn't think they were capable of losing, to be honest with you.
2: So you think it's a midseason lull, or is it an issue that needs to be taken more seriously?
1: I think there's all sorts of factors at play. Again, I mean, you know, the way that that DJ just carried this show, if it were just, you know, you take him out of it, and it's DJ and PK, but PK's the only one that shows up every day. You're going to suffer.
2: Yeah, we have from time to time.
1: (laughs) Um, No, I mean, honestly, though, it's the way the defense is built and the way that, you know, guys, as Marcus Morris said eloquently earlier in the year funnel, everything to go bare. I I think what came to my mind as this was going on is, man, Marcus Morris was dead right.
2: Your turn.
0: Tim Lacombe joining us right here. I am curious if you believe that the Jazz are championship contenders, or if you've seen the Warriors and the Suns and the Jazz are just going to do the best they can here. But those two teams are—they've pulled away.
1: Well, I would have a couple of weeks ago. I would have thought you know I would answer that affirmatively yes. But I mean, even Donovan last night in the post game talked about. You know the Jazz are kidding themselves if they want to put themselves in. You know you don't just proclaim yourself a title contender, and you you do that on the floor. Um, I watched the Warriors the other night with Clayback back, and um, you know he's he's certainly got a little ways to go shape wise, but like those guys play, those guys play on the defensive end as though they really do want to win a championship. Um, and then, you know, the Suns have have had a, another really good year. I, I'm going to say the Jazz are capable of being in the equation, but their play as of late. And, again, I understand they've had, like the rest of the league, they've had a ton of, of guys out um, and injuries. And then, like you said, PK, there is there is something to the midseason lull. I think there's every year you could go pick four or five games and just kind of shrug your shoulders. So, so this is one of them not not an overreaction but just in terms of the team mindset on defense has just got to change i mean guys have to do more and donovan talked about it last night guys one through 17 um you know this isn't a we problem right now this becomes an I problem what can i do to help fix this and um and you know that's where we are do you
2: think this lull or slump, whatever you want to say it is, is going to hasten the urgency to make a move?
1: Um, my guess would be yes. Um, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of guys capable of making a basket on this team, which is awesome. There's a lot of guys, you know, more so than ever, guys that can can make a play for another guy, and that's really important. In fact. If you go watch that, rewatch that game, and, and David sent me a whole big long list of stats last night after rewatching it. Um, but you know, there were in relation to the whether, way whether the Jazz play, there were you know, crazy number of one and two and zero pass possessions coming down the stretch in the fourth quarter, where a guy just made his mind up: to, I'm going to drive it, and I'm either going to score it or I'm going to get fouled. And unfortunately, a lot of those ended up in turnovers. Um, it's just not jazz basketball and and so, yeah, I mean, my thought looking on the outs- outside looking in, I think you've got some pieces that um, kind of replicate themselves, and perhaps you might want to diversify you know a couple of spots on your team and, and try to shore up the defensive side a little more.
0: They have played a lot of guys we haven't seen much of. Do you think any of them, have you spotted any of them and said, this guy's an NBA guy. He can help the Jazz. Maybe he can help somebody else?
1: Eric Paschal. I mean, I, Eric's got to get in better shape. But I really like him. Uh, I think he plays the right way. I think he plays hard. You know, he just came, um, he came to the game last night and brought energy. I think he's a guy that can guard the ball and guard perimeter. Um, You know, I was really disappointed in Royce O'Neal's defense last night. I know we give him a ton of credit a lot, but he he was not very good defensively last night. And, you know, if he's not going to be out there really being great defensively and only taking two or three shots, you know, what's why why 35 minutes? And so I would say that, yeah, I think there may be some opportunity to utilize some of the stuff you've got. And I I really do like Pascal. I I think he's – I think he's a winner, and then I've really liked seeing what I've seen of Daniel House. Uh, I know he didn't have the best game against Indiana, but again, last night came into the game and did some good things. He's a guy who you definitely jumps off the film that he can guard the ball and he keeps guys in front of him, and um, he's got some good length to him, you know. But that's a guy that's intriguing to me because they got him, you know, the way they they are able to acquire him. I think there's a place on the team for a guy who can who can get down in a stance and keep people in front.
2: Yeah, but if everybody's healthy, whose minutes do these guys take? I'm not worried about them. I'm worried about the guys that are in the rotation because they're going to determine the success of this team in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, and I guess that's the that's the big question. Um, you know, I think, again, the Jazz have been league, almost, you know, league history leading offensively. Um, but, you know, you remember the years where the Jazz were, were crazy the other way, where they were really, really positioned around defense and, and struggled on the offensive side to shoot it. Um, so it's almost as though the pendulum swung completely the other way, and it's just just needs to have a couple of guys who are willing to um, give a little bit more on the defensive end. My, I, You know, the beautiful part is in my job now I can just talk about concepts and ideas Necessarily have to actually make the hard decisions, um, but if you watch the film and, and you really are looking for opportunities, I, I think they're there. You know, I think there's an opportunity to play uh, a guy like Pascal in a situation where there's, you know, where the ball's not moving, where uh, guys aren't really guarding their their yard, you know, and, and that's up to Quinn. You know, I don't know who, I don't know who and how and when and. And again, right now, everything's all kind of just combobulated too, with so many guys out and really the, the cornerstone of your team defensively. And I would almost say, you know, leads to he really does give guys advantage with his screens, whether they be off ball, you know, and they can curl into the paint with an advantage or in a ball screen. And nobody sets a better ball screen than Gobert. Uh, really clears a way for guys to get downhill. And then that's where the blender can start. So, I mean, they miss him a ton right now. There's no question about it.
0: So we can talk stats and X's and O's, but how much of this is just grit and determination and New Jersey toughness? And I'll use Hassan Whiteside as an example because I thought it was so obvious, but I don't think it's limited to him. I think it's up and down the roster. But in the game in Detroit, he gets his shot blocked twice right out of the gate. He starts 0 for 2, and he's getting his shot blocked by a guy who's I don't know, four or five inches shorter. It just shouldn't be happening. And then he inbounds the ball and doesn't see an opposing player and basically throws it right to him. And the guy hesitates for a second and then looks at Hassan, kind of sizes him up and decides, I'm going to dunk on you. And he dunks on him, and Hassan doesn't even get off the floor. So at this point, you might as well have me in the game because I can get my shot blocked and I can get dunked on. But something snaps, Hassan flexes for a second, and he spends the next quarter and a half beating up all the undersized guys they throw at him. He's blocking shots, he's dunking on alley oops, they give him the ball on the floor and he's dunking. He's doing exactly what they got him for. It doesn't bear any resemblance at all to the first three or four minutes. And I think he's just going to run roughshod over these guys all night long. But then the second half, he just kind of disappears. I didn't think it was really good or really bad. He just got caught up in the flow of the game, and it was going against the Jazz. Isn't that just mental focus and determination?
1: Yeah, I mean, in part, partly there too. In, in rewatching it last night, you know, the very the, the Pistons changed the way they guarded and switched everything. So Kryptonite rears its head once again. That's why the roles and stuff went open. His Son got so many things early on, um, by virtue of, yes, being locked in after a tough start, uh, but then just really was the beneficiary of good ball movement, you know, as guys played on an advantage. The issue when teams switch is they, they – Jazz really struggle to create an advantage. Um, it's almost as if the, the switching in the Jazz mind just says, okay, we're going to stop – trying to move it and we're going to drive it ourselves and we're going to try to beat this thing. And, you know, I've seen it time and time again. And I know that's obviously not the way they're coached. They're coached to play off the pass. And so it's it's just an instinct, I think, when teams start to switch that guys feel like they got to fix it. And the result is no ball movement, you know, less advantage, tougher shots, and an easier way for a team to make a run on you.
2: Since they have this losing streak now, after coming off a pretty good streak, you don't want it to extend, obviously. So, how big do you view these next few games?
3: Well,
1: they're in for a fight, and tomorrow night it's uh, the Cavs are. They're one of my favorite teams in the league to watch. They got length galore. They they play three seven footers on the on the floor, um, and and then they've got in my mind one of the the best up and coming guards in Darius Garland. But their style of play, they come at you hard, man. They're they're hard hat wearing guys. We have the ability to play above the rim. And they definitely get up in you on, on the defensive side. So, you know, there isn't time to feel bad for yourself. I think these games are really important. Again, the Jazz are, you know, that they're entire. There's a and that they're playing, you know, at half strength. Um, but again, much to the would not have jeremy green last night who's lead, their leading scorer and and by far best player so you you couldn't use the term you've got you've got to adapt situation you're in and that's really what the jazz have to do um will it make or break their season if they go on a, a lose a couple more with Rudy out no um we've all seen that. You know, last year the Jazz finished number one record in the West and, and did not get where they wanted to go. So the most important basketball is played between April and June. The lessons learned through a season, and I'm going to repeat this, lessons learned through a season and the journey of a season really define how you're going to play in those months. And the highs don't always equate, you know, the fact you don't play terrific and the lows don't always equate to the fact you're not. Um but it's lessons learned along the way and hopefully there's a lesson learned, you know, on focus and resolve and the ability to adapt that came out of this road trip.
0: Have you ever seen do you remember anyone doing what Clay Thompson is doing, being away from the game for two and a half years and then trying to come back at a high level?
1: How long was Jordan gone?
0: A year and a half.
1: I mean that's what it reminded me of, right? Like watching all the fanfare prior to him coming out on the court and, you know, just that whole excitement. And I know Clay's not the level of, of Michael, but um, pretty close. You know, he's a guy who won championships and people around the, the world know his name. Um, it's pretty amazing. And, you know, I, I, think the game's really important to him. Winning's really important to him and it's killed him to have to sit and watch. But, you know, to the Warriors' credit, we talk about adapting. You know, there'll be a lot of reasons, particularly this year, too, you know, without him back to maybe start the season uh, and not be at your best. But they they went out and acquired a bunch of guys who really want to get down in the trenches and guard. Um, they have the best in defense in, in the league. And it's really Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and a bunch of um, – two-way guys, I mean, or, or guys like Wiggins, who's kind of, you know, re- resurrected his career there. Um, but I, you know, I haven't seen, I haven't seen really much of it since Jordan, you know, when Jordan came back after trying to hit the curveball. Um, and I'm excited for Clay. You know, he, he looked like he, there's only one way to play yourself in the game shape, and that's to play. You know, you can't, can't simulate that. So I know that it, that'll be the kind of the grueling part for him. But I mean, he dunked in the game and made three threes. um, And, you know, his team won against a good Cavs team that the Jazz are going to see.
0: Tim, we appreciate the time. Don't be a stranger. We'll talk to you again soon.
1: All you got to do is call.
0: There's Tim Lacombe. When we come back, college football and college football playoffs with Tim Brando from Fox Sports next. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We had Tim Brando on in the 9 o'clock hour. He is never short on opinions when it comes to college football. Will Urban Meyer get another job? When will they go to a 12-team playoff? Here is Tim Brando with PK and I. Tim, thanks for joining us again.
3: Good morning, DJ. PJ, how are you?
0: We are doing well this morning. I am curious if you found that that championship game was... A satisfying end to the season, or the expansion to the twelve-team playoff looms over us, and the fact it was two SEC teams wrecked it, even if the fourth quarter was dramatic.
3: Look, you know, with all of its foibles and with all of the issues that are off the field, that you know, I I'm I'm sure maybe a lot of people that follow me on Twitter uh, get a little bit fatigued by my complaints. Um, The college game is still the greatest game. It's one of the reasons why. I um, I feel the need to point out the problems because I love it so much, and I think people know that my criticism is genuine and it comes from a prism of love, and if they don't, well then, you know, they're, they're lost in Twitterville and total negativity because uh, they don't know my past and they don't know my present, and they don't understand that I still feel my future uh, involves college football until the day I die. And uh, but, but but the bottom line is that game in the as bad as it was for a half and it was pretty bad uh, for a half it was uh, it looked like a lot of of SEC rematches we've seen in the past um, uh, you know the 2011 LSU Alabama game was uh, in the BCS is what helped us get to four teams because it was just a colossal bore. Uh, I don't think LSU got past the 50-yard line in that game in New Orleans uh, that night. Uh, America just doesn't like to see rematches, and particularly rematches with teams out of the same conference that played a month ago. Uh, I don't know what the rating will be. My guess is it will not be very good, probably uh, 10, 15 percent maybe less than the Ohio State-Alabama game a year ago. Um, but it was uh, as as college football can be, and only college football can be, it delivered uh, in 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 ways uh, that that professional sports simply can't. You know, a preferred walk- on who who was not recruited by anybody uh, that was major uh, coming out of high school, that went to a small junior college. And then after he excelled at the JC in the state of Mississippi, uh, pretty much turned down Georgia when they asked him to come back. But his dream as a kid was to be a starting quarterback in Athens, Georgia. And he out-duels and makes the biggest plays uh, of his life against the Heisman Trophy winner, you know, and and slays the dragon that is Alabama football. Uh, That's, I mean, that's legendary. Okay, they'll be talking about that uh, in Athens, Georgia. And, you know, college football's currency is its history. You know, it really is. And to have waited 41 years to win a national title since Herschel Walker was a freshman, uh, to get it, and have, to have been so close as Georgia has been for a handful of years, and it was Alabama that did them in most of the time, cost them their chance, Um to have this kid pull it off when everybody, I mean, up until the third my man Joel Klatt, and I actually retweeted it, said if JT Daniels is, is can walk, he needs to come into the game. And then, boom, okay, look what happened. Um, you know, only college football, fellas, can deliver that. Only college football. And even with its issues, NIL, Transfer Portal, uh, the thought that we're losing – you know what amateurism is all about, uh, because of the changes that are being made in intercollegiate athletics and specifically college football. You can just throw all that out, okay? The the, the greater good won out last night, and uh, we should celebrate it. We we really should.
2: From the Pac-12 perspective, George Kalafkoff, the new commissioner, before the Pac-12 title game, he was very blunt in saying that we have got to do a much better job in terms of keeping West Coast kids in the conference. Now, you look at George Alabama. Bryce Young throws a an interception at the end of the game. So he's from California. Uh, Ringo, the kid who catches it, is from the Phoenix area, right? So you got you got one <laughs> yeah. for going all two kids, literally in the Pac-12 area, just miles mm-hmm. and miles away uh, from from three schools, basically four schools if you co- count uh, the U of A and ASU and then the two LA schools. Uh, it's an issue. It's a serious issue. What can be done from the Pac-12 perspective? Because it seems like they've got a commissioner who's willing to acknowledge that everything isn't great. And they've created this uh, sort of all-star panel of ex-players in the conference to try to do stuff. From your perspective, what can be done to buoy up the Pac-12 in and, and terms of being able to be stronger and going a long way towards keeping kids home in the conference?
3: I look forward to meeting Plevakoff because I've I've liked some of what I've seen him say. Uh, I've not met uh, George yet. I look forward to it. Uh, I really do. I think uh, his acumen, particularly uh, from the standpoint of um, of um, uh, the gaming aspect of, of, of college sports and how that can help drive interests uh, from those that maybe we need to coerce to come over to the college side. Um, college. Football is, and college sports in general, uh, is is I think an afterthought in cer- certain corridors of the country, and and the West Coast has become one of those corridors, and that's unfortunate. Uh, I, I would recommend that his blue ribbon panel include some people from outside the West Coast, because you know I've had this conversation with many athletic directors. Uh, and past commissioners, Um, and I'm close to um, some of them. I was close to all of them uh, before a lot of them retired. You know, um, the the former ACC commissioner uh, I was close with. Uh, Jim Delaney is somebody I I know very, very well. Uh, Mike Slive before he died, and I were very good friends and close. And I I know Greg Sankey uh, from the SEC, but part of what's going on right now that's a problem uh, is the inability uh, to unify these these leaders of commission, the commissioners of all the different conferences. They've got to find some common ground. Uh, to specifically talk to the issues that are affecting uh, the Pac-12, they, they really need to admit that they need to find a new blueprint in the Pac-12. Okay? For instance, in Salt Lake, at Utah, okay, there is a natural fandom that the Utes have for themselves. And that was evidenced at the Rose Bowl. You may have lost the game, okay, but you won the gate. That was clear. And I think that's true with a lot of Pac-12 schools where the college community really does take over the metropolitan area. And Salt Lake does have a metropolitan area. It's, in a lot of ways, a big little place that's engulfed by the university um, and by extension by by other universities. The whole dynamic with BYU and Utah serves to help both, I think. That that rivalry uh, serves to help both. You don't have that when you go into the state, by by example, of Arizona. Okay? Uh, It's just there's so much geography, so much vast land between locations that this notion that everybody from the conference can get on the same page, it just doesn't happen. Okay? The mindset of fans is completely different. Uh, and, and I think that you, know, you can't change history. There's, there's just a lot of history uh, with, with certain schools and college football. But you can develop, you can develop interest and energy and enthusiasm by, by doing what's in the best interest of the sport. Uh, For years, having the title game in Santa Clara was just a mistake, a big mistake. Um, Hopefully, that's going to change. The the notion that um, the Pac-12 is, for whatever reason, steadfast about not wanting to go to 12 teams for fear that uh, more SEC teams will get in if we don't go the AQ route. Look, I, I, I don't care... And I would love to have this conversation with guys like Klebkov, uh, as well as uh, Jim Phillips, the new commissioner of the ACC, whom I know and respect. But, you know, you're the league that needs to have 12 teams in the playoff more than anybody. Okay? You're hemorrhaging money. You're not making in television what other conferences are making. So whatever your issues are as it relates to meeting and not coming to any kind of conclusion about expansion, uh, that needs to be repaired. Uh, and, and listen, these kids want to be on television. They want to know that their own individual brands will grow with the brand of the conference. And, and right now, there are a lot of unanswered questions about that particular direction with the Pac-12. So anytime you have uh, greater access and, and a 12-team format would give the Pac-12 at least, you're guaranteed you're, you're going to get one in, and you might get more. Why worry about the SEC or anybody else getting multiple teams in? Okay, that, that, they need to fix that. You want to keep teams at home, then you need to make sure that the players out there know that you take college football seriously. Uh, these kids that are going to the SEC from the West Coast, They know, and and you can scoff at it all you want, but they know that college football is a big deal down here. You know, I've grown up in the South. I've lived in Louisiana all but uh, four years of my life. When I was in Connecticut working at ESPN in the late 80s, uh, I I lived somewhere else. But the rest of my life, I've either been in my hometown, which is Shreveport. I live here. I've been here for 31 years since I moved back from Connecticut. Uh, And I worked in Baton Rouge and New Orleans, the other places. So uh, it's a part of our lives. It's a fabric of our lives. Um, And and I just don't believe that, uh, you know, you can do that on the West Coast because of you know the pro sports mentality of so many fans. Uh, Basketball is a much bigger deal at some schools. Uh, Arizona, I think, falls into that category, a few other places. Uh, Football players want to play where they believe they're noticed and appreciated. Uh, and, and I think that's one of the reasons why Kyle while Kyle Whittingham has done such a great job at Utah. Uh, Utah players know that they're noticed and they know that they're appreciated particularly there. Uh, and as I said that was um, even though you lost the game to Ohio State, I still think it was the best game of the bowl season and, and, and of the losing teams no one appeared stronger okay in defeat than uh, the youths
0: Tim Brando joining us, college football and basketball broadcaster for Fox Sports. So the Pac-12 needs a path back to national relevance, and money seems like the shortest route. What are the odds a program like USC or Oregon, maybe somebody else, but one of those two grabs name, image, and likeness and pours a ton of money directly into player, and essentially into player acquisition?
3: Well, again, that was another thing I I thought – uh, uh, w- when they were having the, the uh, press conferences at the uh, national championship, uh, Saban and, and uh, Kirby Smart were both. Oh, you know, we really need to get some, uh, you know, some national uh, regulations going here. <laughs> How are you going to do that? Okay, first off, uh, it, 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 you know, Congress isn't going to bail you out. The NCAA tried to get them to help, that 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 didn't work. The NCAA could have been you know, taking a leadership role. They chose not to. Uh, they're decentralizing now. I think uh, Emert has decided if I can make $4 million a year and not have to do anything, that's what <laughs> I'll do. Uh, so it's up to the states. And I think, look, look, the schools, most of the schools are state universities. Some are private, but most of them are state schools. They need to put the pressure on to make sure that they get Uh, the right kind of laws in place so they can take advantage of name, image, and likeness. So be proactive in that regard. Uh, And, yeah, uh, this is about doing what's right for the growth of your sport and for the people that you're trying to procure to come and play it. The genie is out of the bottle. Anybody and uh, (laughs) – I've got friends of mine that are my age and older – uh, you know, and I'm a very young 65, right, fellas? A young. Yeah. Oh, no question. I thought you were yeah, 55. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, what I'm saying is, if, if people have a problem with this, we're not winding the clock back. We're not going to bring the the boat back into dock. That baby, that, that ship has sailed. and and we're going to have to live with this. Times are changing, and you got to change with it. And uh, the NIL is a big deal, and those schools that are going to and I had planned for it. You know, individual schools planned on this. There are agencies and firms privately run that that help the schools plan for and uh, are implementing what needs to be done uh, to monitor what's going on with NIL. And if you were asleep at the switch, then shame on you. Um, but, yeah, the, the best way to go about it, and listen, it's a marketing opportunity, and I think we'll... The, the schools that are best equipped to handle it, sure, are places like SC, um, maybe UCLA, although I don't know you know what their thought process is. They're certainly well positioned. Uh, and, and and Oregon is another one that could fall into the category. But if you don't take advantage of that, then th- this, that's on you. You've got to be prepared and and be ready to go. And uh, <laughs> all the money that they've spent through the years on compliance officers at these schools, uh, they need to be spending uh, a, a lot more money on, you know, public relations 101, NIL 101, and and get people in there to to yes, keep an eye on what's going on, but also be proactive to help uh, the athletes get the kind of deals that they can be happy with and know that they're they're being compensated in a fair and equitable manner by comparison to those schools that they're in competition with. Uh, everything's changed here. And if a lot of fans have tuned out or they feel like it's not the same, well, you know what? Uh, times change, and, and if you don't change with them, that you're going to be left behind. Um, uh, the notion that uh, these kids today are playing for Old State U, uh, sorry, that's not how they think these days, okay? Yeah, they want to play college ball, but they also want to play college ball at a place they believe can set them up uh, for their futures. And that's the mindset of the guys, whether they have the ability to play at the next level or not.
2: Which AD has the guts to hire Urban Meyer?
3: <laughs> Man, that's a good one. Oh, God. Huh. that is a Boy, that's a hell of a question. Uh, I was thinking about this uh, last night, watching uh, Dan Mullen do some um, studio uh, analyst work for ESPN. You know, Dan's going to be, he's probably going to take a year off. He doesn't have got so much money. These guys are paid so much money not to coach. Why coach? But I could see Urban going someplace and maybe calling his old buddy. Mullen's available, you know, yeah. right? So that could be a ready-made staff, don't you think? Yeah.
2: <laughs> they were here in Utah. That's a
3: great, that, that, that is a great question. Um, somebody will. Uh, it, it may take another year or two, but, but somebody will. Uh, he'll never coach, obviously, at the, at the NFL level. But, um, gosh, I, you know, Urban was so good on TV. I, I wonder sometimes, it, it, does he rethink uh, even going to the NFL? Because he had really, I thought, changed his uh, image uh, in a very positive way in the time that he spent with us at Fox. Right. Uh, I mean, he was really good in that studio. Uh, but I don't know. God, that's a, boy, that's a great question. I'll have to think about that one. And I probably will all day long. That <laughs> <would> you <ask. laughs>
0: Do you think it's impossible that he get hired and coach it? Because I'm sure a lot of people listening are like, no, slam the door, that's over. Are you comfortable saying that and us holding on to the tape and playing it for you when he gets hired and you come with, back with on
3: the show? Ur- no, with Urban? Uh I I don't know. I don't think it's ever really over. Okay. Um uh, let's let's by comparison uh, let's let's by comparison think about uh, guys that fell into disfavor uh for uh alleged stories that were of questionable uh alleged stories of questionable mora- morality, okay? Um Hugh Freeze resurfaced, did he not? Yep. At Liberty. Yeah. Jerry Falwell, you were crying out loud. Yeah. So, and the guy can coach. The, the big question in this part of the country is when will an SEC AD you know, rehire Hugh Freeze? Uh, urban situation is different, but similar. And and so I I would never say never, <laughs> I, I would ne- I would never say never, I, I would say never to the NFL. I mean that you know that, that'll never happen again. But at the collegiate level, would would somebody do that? Yeah, yeah. Look, these guys, man has got a track record in college sports of being, you know, one of the best ever. I mean, um, you look at um, Mount Rushmore for the last 25 to 30 years of college football, and Urban, you know, until recently, Urban would have been on it. You know, maybe not now, but he certainly would have been on it prior to, you know, his escapades in Jacksonville.
0: If Sarkeesian doesn't work at Texas, that is the fan base that is so rabid and so motivated and cannot accept getting beat like a drum in the SEC by Oklahoma, Texas A&M, and LSU can't accept it.
3: That's mm-hmm. a good point. Uh, I would say that it'll be a while, I think, fellas, before we see those teams go into the SEC. Uh, have you noticed how, how all that conversation has cooled? Um, you know, the, uh, the the realignment, which is driving, I think, in so many respects, why the, the athletic directors and commissioners of the conferences uh, are saying no to expansion right now. One of the, the the ways that they can, that, you know, the, the excuses that they can give is until realignment is settled, and until um, we have our new television contracts for our conferences, we're we're going to make these guys, you know, stand up to the grant of rights that they paid. You know, it's still I think the number might go from eighty million to maybe sixty million because of years with Oklahoma and Texas. But those schools don't want to pay that money right now, even though they've got all the money that they need. They don't want to pay that money to go into the SEC right now and get their butts kicked. They're not ready. They're not ready to go into that league uh, at this stage. And, and I, look, the, the, the Big 12 is set now with, um, with Cincinnati and with UCF, uh, with Houston and with um, BYU. Um, they're, they're set to have their league without those two schools. But as long as they can hold on to them, financially, their rights for television are much greater if they stay where they are, so they're they're not going to push them out. They're going to make them pay the money to get out if they want to, but I think it's at least going to be a couple of years before we see those schools go into the Southeastern Conference. Uh, And by the way, uh, the SEC on CBS is going to stay in place probably for three years because uh, they only paid $55 million annually for that contract. ESPN paid over $300 million to get it away, but they don't get the actual product until 2025. Why would CBS give that up unless ESPN paid them market value for it? So I, I think we're going to see uh, everything settle, and we're going to still have the teams where they are for at least the next couple of years. That's the reason why you're seeing the, the, the idea of moving to 12 uh, right now in the playoff. That's what the reason why you're seeing everybody say, no, we're not going to agree to this. Because all these commissioners want to get their new TV deals intact before they make the big splash with, uh, with, tw- with a 12-team format. They're playing a game of chicken right now. And I think the game is all, is all built around their new TV deals that have to be done. Once they feel like they've gotten all their money for that, then and only then will they say, "Okay, yeah, we'll go to 12 because we can make two billion a year uh, on the college football playoff as opposed to, you know, six hundred and seventy million they currently make. I
0: love amateur athletics. (laughs)
3: Listen, I've been saying this for years. Uh, Fans don't necessarily care. Uh, Media, we can talk about it. but but fans do need to understand that it is big business. And uh the question oftentimes comes up, yeah, but these are college kids. And I'll go, yeah, but what is the mission of your university? All right. What is, what is the mission statement of your university? And and you know, a lot of times people will go, Well, they're they're there to educate our young people. Okay. Yeah, they are, but would you put would you also say that the mission statement is to make as much money as humanly possible. I don't know if you guys have sent your kids to college, but I I sent my two girls, and and I'm here to tell you, most institutions of higher learning, their mission statement begins with making money. Education, yes, but making money, too. And these schools now know how much more they can make on big-time college athletics. And... uh, so any fan or, or any member of the media not to understand that is just burying your head in the sand.
0: Tuition was due on Friday the seventh, and they did not announce whether the school, which is out of state uh, from Utah, didn't. The school did mm-hmm. not announce until after tuition was due whether they were going to be online or in person, knowing oh, full well go. that they were going to irritate half of the tuition payers either way. Right. I mean no matter what they said, people were gonna be upset. So they waited until Absolutely. tuition was paid and then they made the announcement. <laughs> Tim, we appreciate the go. time. As always, thanks so much.
3: Happy to be with you. Happy New Year. And um you know I can't wait for uh you know, toe to meet leather again next year. We've got some great basketball to to follow between now and then and I'm fired up for the round ball these days.
0: There's Tim Brando. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.